Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Welcome everybody! Another episode of According to Flint, and keeping our uh, keeping our finger on the pulse of the Western sports world as we always do. And this week we are we're doing some timely material, up keeping us up to date. Happy to welcome uh, my boss, the only CEO or sports commissioner that is currently living in an RV. <laughs> He is, he is Mr. Sean Gleason. How do we determine if it's a CEO or a commissioner? I have heard you referred to as both. Is there a difference? Is this a day-to-day thing? What do, how, how are we doing this? Well, you know, frankly, I think if it's rules-oriented, if it's uh, sport-oriented, then I need to be the commissioner because I am the, you know, one of the members of the the uh, competition committee, but I'm the ultimate authority when it comes to uh, making a lot of decisions on a competition side. And if it's business, it's kind of like a mullet, right? It's all party <laughs> in the back with the, uh, uh, stealing one of your lines, yeah, but, uh, you yeah. know, all competition in the back and all business up front. Yeah. Um, so yeah, CEO and commissioner. You, uh, I-, I will say when we get, and we've spent some time together, um, it, to to come on the air like this in times that we're in, you're one of the few commissioners in any sport that come on the air smiling. I mean, and that's a good feeling for all of us that work <laughs> in the organization to know. And you have said this, and I've told people we're the we're the one. Any kind of activity, sport, whatever you want to call us, tour whether it's a concert tour, whether it's a sport, we're the one that's going to do the whole season, the whole tour. There's nobody else can say that. Largely, you know, we're going to miss a couple of events um, because we just didn't have enough weekends in the year to Mm. get them rescheduled. But um, we're going to finish a regular season with the vast majority of our events. I think 24 out of 26 and uh, we're going to hold our world finals and not always in the place that we planned, (laughs) But we're going to have those events. Yeah. So it's 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 a huge accomplishment for all of us, for the PBR staff and everybody. And it took a lot of hard work. But um, that, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. I said a lot of times it didn't mean anything to be the first back. You know, that was um, who knows what that was all about. And I really don't care that other sports say, oh, we're the first. We're yeah. the first. Uh, we know what the truth is. Yeah. Um, but what, what I'm most proud of is that our team found a way to have a regular season and knock them would get through the world finals. And then we're going to throw a little cherry on top at the end of the year and buck bulls on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were a part of that first weekend when we went to Duluth, Georgia, just North of Atlanta. And we get word a couple days ahead of time, no crowd. And I know in my head, I'm thinking, all right, uh, no crowd. We'll go do this show. We'll be a couple weeks, uh, you know, to do whatever we need to do. And really all of us were kind of thinking that, that will be two or three weeks. I honestly was thinking my body hurts. I was a little burnt out to be honest and thought, all right, a couple weeks, this will be good. Uh, we'll come back strong, get back to doing what we do. At what point did you go? Oh crap. This is, this is not going to be good. 
Well, I know exactly when and where it was because we did go into Duluth and, and you got to remember too, we have people from all over the country and all walks of life that work for our sport, you know, mm-hmm. people from New York city and the East coast and people that work in television and media businesses. And, and then we've got bull riders and Western lifestyle folks. And so there were diverging opinions on whether or not we should have had an event in Duluth, Georgia. And there were a lot of people that if, frankly, if you came from New York and people were dying and bodies were piling up, you took the illness a little more seriously mm. than others did where people hadn't been affected. So we never took it lightly. Um, but where, where it all went, Oh crap to me was, you know, going into Duluth, uh, we were, we were under a governor's order that limited gatherings to 250 people. Mm-hmm. We scaled back production bull riders, all of us. And we ended up having that event with around 150 total people. Um, we started putting some social distancing measurement measures in place, but nobody really knew what that meant at the po- that point in time. Um, but it was on the plane ride back mm. because when we left Georgia, the guidance had been changed nationally from 250 to 150, I believe, at the time. Um, and I said, okay, we can still do it. You know, we just, we're getting under 150. We'll just roll on. We'll do events in the venues that we were planning to, and we'll just do TV only for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I got off the plane, literally off the plane, um, an update came in and said, uh, gatherings are limited to 50 or fewer. And then a couple of days later, it was 10 or fewer. So, at that point, I knew we had to come up with a more creative way to get back to work. And that was really when the protocols started being developed. Yeah. You know, I look back now, I didn't think as, I guess it didn't hit me as much at the time. I look back now, the fact that we were doing stuff in May. I mean, that was amazing looking back now at how little the country really has progressed since then in April. Um, yeah. Where, how did you start? Like, we, how did you sit down and have a starting point to the bubble, the testing, how we kept everything? I mean, I uh, honestly, I don't know. Where did you, uh, your ideas, who, who'd you consult with? Where did all this come from? In the beginning, it was really more about common sense, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, the world was panicking and I looked at it and said, okay, this is an illness. It's a serious illness, but it's still an illness that, you know, it doesn't all of a sudden it's not going to affect every person in America because it's an airborne illness that, you know, somebody dropped from the sky. <laughs> and I just, it's, it is, it's a very contagious disease. It's much more dangerous than the flu to people that have underlying conditions. So I don't want anything to downplay the, mm-hmm. the way the seriousness is to which we approach this. But, but in reality, it is just, it's a transmittable uh, virus, just like the flu and other viruses. So I started reading everything that I could read about it and, um, and, and reading the guidance and, and really the mission was to get us back to work. And if you apply some common sense to those things and you read and you understand the guidance, which has changed considerably mm-hmm. since the day we first started, then I felt like we could have a safe and responsible plan to get back to work. And, you know, there, we were ready to go the first weekend of April, we missed two weeks. And I drove a rented RV at the time back to uh, <clears throat> back to Guthrie, Oklahoma, and standing in the parking lot on or around the fifth of April, and and ready to buck bulls for CBS that weekend. When we finally said no, it's a little too soon, and 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 that's really the when the news started coming out that 
um, hospitals were overflowing in New York City and that um, the president came out and was talking about hundreds of thousands of people dying. And so we felt it was a little tone deaf to mm -hmm. try and get back at that point. But we were ready in first week of April. And ultimately, we postponed it two weeks and we came back. Uh, at the end of April, and and we've been going ever since. I've had trouble. I did at the time had trouble explaining to people, especially up here in Montana, that okay, no, I, I people were under the impression okay, it's a bull ride, and you just don't have crowds there. But to explain what we did in especially in Guthrie, also in Vegas, but it had loosened a little bit. A true bubble was created. I mean, it was as strict of any, it, it, the most unique thing I've ever been involved with. The NBA comes out and they have a bubble. And we all, you know this, we all went, hey, we had a bubble before anybody, as you've said. <laughs> who, who called yeah, you? I, like, spoke to, I spoke to about 15 other leagues. Well, I was. Um, that, that's what I was going to ask. Who else called? Have you have you spoken personally to other pro sports commissioners, or was it, uh, it was other people? The person that was assigned to be responsible of their COVID uh, return to action. So, um, I spoke to a few commissioners uh, of various other leagues, but mostly I was just consulting with uh, with the people that were trying to write plans to get some of those sports back to work. Um, there's a few that that I will not name that changed the uh, logo on the front of the the policies and then took them word for word and, and put them out as their doctrine. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, I told everybody like if somebody called, I hit send on the on our our protocols and our documentation. I hit send before we even started the phone call, so I could say, "Look, it's in your inbox. Do what you want with it." Because we really did want people to get back to work. Yeah. Everybody in all sports. Yeah, and that, that's the key. We just want everybody. There's no use of being a contest. We are all on the. We're all trying to be on the same page. But you also, just for the fans' sake, and maybe people who aren't as familiar, the corporate structure of the PBR. You are the commissioner, CEO of the PBR. There are people above you. We have a corporate structure. We're we're also owned by someone else. Uh, is that we're how? wholly owned by Endeavor? Yes, yeah. and Endeavor owns yeah, Endeavor. UFC. Uh, that, that's a huge company. Yeah, WME, which is uh, the biggest talent agency in the world. Um, we have uh, fashion. Endeavor Fashion, uh, Miss Universe, UFC, Rallycross. Uh, we're big in tennis, golf, soccer, uh, as large as well as one of the largest media representation companies in the world. So we're part of a very, very large conglomerate, and uh, and we work directly with UFC mm -hmm. and and our other counterparts in developing the protocols to get back to work. So um, it was. We were we were one of two really in the in the Endeavor organization that was able to find a path to get back sooner than later. Yeah, so we go to we go to Vegas for for three four weeks in June. Team competition, still a bubble, still no crowds. I guess that makes me think. And and we'll we'll I want to get to the World Finals, but when I got to Vegas, I can't. That was like a bad dream, not for us. But what we were doing was fun. It was great. But did you ever, in your wildest dreams, think you'd pull into Las Vegas, one of our favorite cities in the world, and see Vegas look like that? 
I mean, it, it's a hurting. <laughs> so I, I, I've seen not just Vegas. Oh. we stayed in the South Point, and nobody else was in the South Point. It yeah. was closed. You know, we were there for a while, and uh, it was just crazy. I mean, walking through a facility that there's normally thousands of people and slot machines rambling and, you know, people screaming at tables and bars open and you could have heard a pin drop in that place. I stayed on a floor by myself. I was the only person <laughs> on that floor. And it was a little creepy to be perfectly honest with you. They don't normally like, do that for you. I get that all the time. I usually have a floor. Okay. By myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but South Dakota, you know, we jumped ahead and it was really early compared to other sports. July, we get crowds in South Dakota and, uh, Maybe this is a good place to say, no matter what, right now, as of right now, no matter what a state or city or county's regulations are, we as an organization sell maximum 50%. Because I, I think you put it a good way. I, I always said we're answering to a higher owners, whatever. The good way to put it is a one-off local rodeo is one thing. If they have a local rodeo sell out 4,000 seats and they have a surge of cases in two weeks, rodeo's over. But you, you really had to take care of things because we are an ongoing tour. So, so the 50% thing comes from the PBR, correct? Because uh, realistically, yeah, no, uh, was, South was, Dakota uh, says, go ahead. Was, <laughs> so, Yeah, I mean, we work closely with the, the governors and the local authorities and, you know, they're concerned too. But if the, if the protocols allowed us to have more, I felt that it was um, a disservice to our fans to not take all the steps that we could to provide them with a safe and responsible environment where they could be responsible, socially distance wear their masks if they choose to and, and have a really safe experience. And so 50% isn't the magic number. It was mm -hmm. 50 or less really is sure. the number that we chose. And the magic number came from putting every pod of seating six feet away from every other pod of seating so yeah. that, um, so that people could socially distance in that event environment, not have to cross over people in a row to go to the bathroom or go to a concession stand, prepackaged foods, ingress and egress controls that made sure you didn't have to stand in lines and really, um, but, you know, think back, Flint. I mean, think back to the early, early days of this. And we all thought that there was a good chance that we were going to get COVID-19 and that we were going to be critically ill and or mm. die. Like, right. you know, back in back in April, there were a lot of a lot of people that were just really concerned because of the news coverage. But if you dug beneath the the, you know, the hysteria and did the homework and did the research, you realize it's just a transmittable disease. It's contagious and it's dangerous, but you know, it's not like you go out of your shell and you're going to immediately catch it. If you take some precautions, you won't. Yeah. Um, if you do get it, you know, today we know that it's not nearly as dangerous and deadly as, it, as everybody thought it was back then. So the policies have evolved over time, but uh, the goal for me was to one, give every one of our constituents, you, the riders, stock contractors, staff, TV production, give them the comfort level that they could take care of themselves and not be exposed to the disease unknowingly or unwittingly in an environment or that, that we at least took the, all the proper steps to mitigate that as much as possible. Yeah. And, and I feel we have like nobody, 
we've had cases, but people have caught it outside of our environment and brought it and, and attempted to bring it into the world unknowingly. Yeah. Um, and we've caught them all and sent them back home to quarantine. And so we don't have any cases where it's been transmitted in anything that we've done. And, and that was my goal. Um, now with the fans, I want to make sure that's the same thing. They can come to an event, be responsible and walk out of there. Now, if, if they end up, you know, kissing 50 girls on the concourse. Or, well, that happens. You know, <laughs> yeah, standing, you know, standing around in a group of 100, jumping up and down and screaming in each other's faces. I can't help that. Yeah, You know, I've kind of done the math through this because we test um, PBR. I always say we. That's okay. Um, what do we what do we test? 150, about 140, 250 a week. Is that about, am I close? Yeah, at least. Yeah. And when I yeah, did the math, I, I've, uh, I've done the math at different weeks. I, I think I've tested 17 times. I had a cold last week and got tested twice and was, you know, just to make sure if anybody's wondering how many precautions are taken. Boy, I'll tell you, our, uh, our positive test result percentage is low, low, low. We've had a few guys get it. Luckily, we, we deal mostly with guys that are young, healthy. We've, you know, yep. and it well, really, and it really has been good, gone well. Yeah, well, it is the young, healthy, primarily bull riders um, that have tested positive. And again, they don't, they're not getting it by uh, at an Unleash the Beast tour event. They're getting it because they're going to the bars in their hometown or they're going <laughs> out and you know, riding bulls at an open bull riding or a rodeo somewhere where there are no protocols and protections. And, um, and then they're commingling with each other, you know, <laughs> daily or weekly, um, you know, and, and we've had to have a few talks with them, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy to me that somebody would risk the opportunity to win tens of thousands a weekend Mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands over the course of the time we've been doing this and potentially a million bucks um, just because you're like, eh, to hell with it. I'm going to go out <laughs> with my buddies tonight. And just hang out. Hey, like, hey, good point, you know, though. And- you bring up a good point, though. I have had, I think people have an impression of Cowboys bull riders, and, and I think it's been a little bit of a struggle, as you've said, at, at rodeos, seriously. Um but I've had a lot of people come to me and say, oh, they got to stay in their rooms. You know, first we'd get tested, go to our rooms. It really was a, you know, a real isolation thing. And even now, it's not like what people remember. We, we're working and there's not much social life there. And people say, oh, what do the bull riders think of that? They, for the most part, for a bunch of 20-some-year-old bull riders, cowboys, they've been pretty all-in on going along with what we're doing. They they wear the mask. They get tested every week. As far as that goes, seems to me like it's been pretty successful. Absolutely. I mean, in the early days, we were walking around, you know, saying put up your mask get it over your nose you know we were we had to had to i guess enforce the rules a little bit more nowadays it's just those they understand those to be the rules they understand them to be the protocols that we put in place and they also understand that it's allowed us to keep our business going i mean i had a few fire and brimstone meetings with the Mm -hmm. with riders and staff and others that didn't take it as seriously as as others white might or we were 
And I said, look, it's not about your personal opinion. It's, it's about what we have to do both specifically and optically to keep the sport going in a time when there's a lot of uncertainty about this disease and it is killing people. So mm-hmm. if, if we're going to contribute to any deaths, we're going to just shut down the, we're going to shut down the PBR. We'll just wait, crawl under our rock and wait until, mm-hmm. um, until this thing's over. And <clears throat> frankly, that's not an option in our world. It's, uh, one part of our be cowboy mantra is you find a, a way to get up, dust yourself off and keep going. But the other thing is that most of the guys and the, and the gals that work in, in and around PBR don't get paid unless we have events. Um, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that I might've been in on one of those group texts about your opinions don't matter. I might've, I might've been the recipient of one. You may have been one of those people. Oh. I don't give a shit what you <laughs> That might have been the exact wording you use, as a matter of fact. I'm what? pretty sure that it was. Very professional. Um, I think what we're going through now, I'm seeing, we're all seeing, we already saw the Denver Stock Show, the National Western Cancel, Fort Worth just canceled. Uh, there were, you know, we've been through it here in Montana, the Billings, the Nile stock show with their pro rodeo canceled is supposed to be kind of going on right now, but we came to town. I think it's instinct for people to say, as we've seen, Oh, uh, the PBR can come to town, but you can't have a pro rodeo. Uh, the NFR and PBR world finals are going to Arlington, but Fort Worth cancels. I have tried to explain, I, I guess, I can kind of see the difference between something locally produced, especially the stock show things where they have crowd control issues. There's so many more factors with a locally produced three-week event or even 10-day event uh, that it's just not feasible for these local events to have the staff or it's not economically feasible to sell half tickets. There's a big difference, isn't there, in trying well, to compare those? There's, there's, there's a few things that are, I think, driving that. And I can speak from experience as well as conversations mm-hmm. with several people that have had to make the decision. One is that, unfortunately, um, rodeo has become um, – the second act, if you will, to the night shows and to the music yeah. acts that, that the vast majority of these people are producing, and that's what pays the bills. So if they don't show up for George Strait and Garth Brooks and uh, you know whoever's coming down the line on the concert side of things, then Rodeo can't pay the bills for a, a 20-day run of of events yeah. that's a shy that, that's a that's firsthand from cheyenne basically at cheyenne this past summer they canceled pretty early lo and behold they did the right thing their concerts financed the whole thing that count that's straight from the oh, source it, yeah. it's, it's every it's every single one of them and it's not just the concerts it's the it's the cowboy christmases mm-hmm. if you will or whatever the convent uh, the uh uh, trade show activity is all those things contribute to paying the bills that um, allow for those facilities to operate. They're locally run. Um, so they have an obligation to probably more of a direct connection and obligation with their health departments and the other um, decision-making authorities that are, that are looking at COVID related issues. Uh, not to say that that, that doesn't mean that we're not under those same obligations, but we, we don't have that same model. I mean, we 
we sell tickets to PBR fans, not to 20 nights of concerts or 12 nights of concerts or five nights of concerts that, you know, gather a hundred thousand, 200,000 or 500,000 people over those days. So, um, they're, they're challenged there. And the rodeo is unfortunately, uh, a casualty, which is probably a topic that you and I could spend another podcast on <laughs> is my, is my opinions and my, you know, beliefs based on 21 or two years of doing this, that, Rodeo's really, you know, allowed itself to become second, a second class citizen at their core events um, and not, not in a malicious way. It's just right. happened. It's the money, the money is raised through all the other activities um, other than the rodeos itself. Yeah. And in, in some so places a, I will in, in some States. Yeah. There's still some smaller like, rodeos. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But if, if we're talking, if we're talking about the big rodeos, Fort Worth and and Denver, you know, and, and the others like it that are having to cancel, I'm not saying that uh, those people aren't committed to rodeo because they are yeah. like they're yeah. very committed to it. But without all of that other activity, the rodeo doesn't sustain the costs of, of doing it. So the rodeos are unfortunately being canceled <laughs> um, in conjunction with this broader economic decision. Uh, that they can't go forward with because not only are the health departments saying that gathering hundreds of thousands of people is a potential problem. The music artists aren't out on the road yet. They're not going back to work and they haven't decided to go back to work. So when you're dependent on your night show and, um, and one of them says, I'm not showing up, you're not going to sell any tickets to that show. (laughs) You know, when you say that I I can see, I've become really good through this, through this whole country shutdown thing and doing more of this stuff. I've become really good at predicting what somebody's, how somebody's going to respond to a statement. So I just know somebody's going to say, Oh, listen to the, the CEO of the PBR saying rodeo's second fiddle and they, this, 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 I interpret it as we love rodeo. We don't like that. That's happened. Rodeo should be, that should be the main event. We have we, we committed a long time ago that we it, it, we've had some opening concerts at PBR World Finals at Arlington. Never end with a concert because you and I have talked. We're never going to sell tickets to a concert and open with a bull riding. That's our that's our commitment. We we set the we set the rule a long time ago that we'd never be an opening act for anything or anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they can open for us. And that's what we've done. When we incorporate music, it is as an opening act. It's usually 30 minutes because we want to get into the bull riding. It's not, you know, and, uh, and so it's, but, but you're right. I mean, I, and I'm, and on the other side of this thing, we've invested, I'd say millions, but it's probably in the high hundreds and hundreds of thousands that we've invested in doing rodeos only now and in partnership with the WCRA and Green Bay and in Kansas City and and these other places where we're trying to establish uh, great rodeos on television as a media property and we put our money where our mouth is and we're not putting music acts on there to go sell a ticket so if anybody's got a criticism about what I said mm-hmm. it's it's not that we don't care about rodeo it's the it's a reality the ro- the big rodeos have become so dependent on the um, on the music acts and the night shows and the other ancillary revenues that the rodeo isn't the main draw and it can't sustain 
they can't sustain an entire 20 day run. Unfortunately, that's where we're at. Now we want to actually try and help rodeo change that. Now, whether rodeo wants our help changing it or not, I guess we'll find out in the long run because we're doing, we're doing things and we'll see how people respond to it. You're right. Women's rodeo. Yeah, you're right. That's a whole nother conversation. And I wish we'll put our money where our mouth is. I'd love to do a podcast on that entire topic because I do have some experience. Well, and if we had the kind of, if we had that kind of time, you know, if, if people got here on time and stuff, that'd be, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we're, I, I do want to circle back in a, a little bit about kind of reading fans and things, but world finals, uh, I would every week, Hey, what's going on with world finals? I get direct messages from fans and I have no idea who they are. Hey, I know nothing's been said. Can you tell us what's going on with world finals? You know, cause I'm going to reveal something to someone I've never met. Seriously, until the day we got a group email from Dan, our our boss in production, saying where you were getting on a plane to, we had no idea where World Finals was going to be. But we it got put off and put off. We had to wait for an answer from Las Vegas. Las Vegas is our prom date. We had to wait. Some people said uh, this was inevitable. Uh, you knew it wasn't going to Vegas. That was not the case. It looked good for a while, didn't it, going to Vegas? Well, it it was always a concern because the governor Sisolak in in the state of Nevada has been um, uh, beyond do it, oh, do it, just say it. Yeah. What is he? <laughs> uh, I don't fully understand the reasons with which he has uh, imposed his restrictions and why he would not review case by case opportunities to bring his state back. Um, Good job. You know, and, well played. And, and well frankly, played. He, frankly, yeah. Frankly, I think he uh, he just made a huge mistake letting PBR and NFR go when they could have be, been conducted safely and responsibly. Um, but that's his decision. So, uh, And I took some criticism online when we announced from some people that said, oh, you knew this was going to happen months yeah. ago. You're just dragging it out. You're Well, no. We had a contract, actually. We have a legally binding commitment to go to the – to the city of Las Vegas and conduct the world finals in Las Vegas. And until we were released from our legal obligations, we really didn't have a choice, but to continue to push forward, to try to hold it there. And so we did submitted plan after plan, had a backup to go to Allegiant stadium and be the first event in front of the public um, in that brand new stadium, which I would have loved that opportunity. Uh, But at the end of the day, every one of those plans was shot down and we, gave them frankly more than more time than we should have is the one mistake is more time than we should have to really force the, the issue of you have to release us from our obligations. Um, but the day that they did, uh, we had five places on hold and AT&T was not one of them. That's what I, I, yeah, I didn't even know it was an option. And I consider myself, I've got the, I've got the pesky Mike, Mike Pence fly somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Same guy. It's the same guy. Um, I, I consider myself, I've been around a long time. I kind of consider myself kind of a big wig in the organization. Not a clue. Like I had no idea. Nobody did. I mean, it was literally that day. It was eight days from the day that uh, I picked up the phone and called our friends at the Cowboys. And it was the 
we had bet we had continued to look for options and alternatives and the Cowboys have a home game in against Pittsburgh on the weekend of our normally scheduled finals, the first week of November. And so we never really looked at it as an option. And frankly, I just Did you get him. Did you get him? I see him. Um, But he, uh, uh, but I, I sat there and I thought, you know what? It's like, it's going to move to a different city. Now we were trying to keep it on the same dates in the same city. And I looked the next week and it was a bye week for the Cowboys. And I'm like, Oh, I got to make some phone calls from that point forward. State of Texas, city of Arlington, Dallas Cowboys, organization, AT&T stadium organization all came together to put the deal in place to bring the PBR world finals, um, eight days from that day until we made the announcement sitting at AT&T stadium. Okay. So if we wouldn't, if, if we wouldn't, if we wouldn't have gone to AT&T stadium, tell me what was, where, where would we have been? Uh, other cities. Yeah. Like what was the, um, what was number two? What was the where where did we almost go for the PBR World Final? Um, Fort Worth was very high on the list going back to Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth mm-hmm. um, and Sioux Falls. Mm. So uh, San Antonio was also in consideration. So, but a big thing with with NFR and PBR Finals. PBR World Finals, you can socially distance sell spaced out pods of tickets and still sell 18,000, 20,000 tickets. That's a big deal. Yeah, our capacity is 18,000. And if you've watched a Dallas Cowboys game, it's the same configuration that they've been using at the Dallas Cowboys. Um, so approved by the NFL for social distancing. And um, and you're a long ways away from other people. I mean, I think... <sighs> And, and that's the, you know, yeah, it's going to make it tough on you. You think? <laughs> that stadium's hard anyway. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, you know, honestly, it, it's been really good being back to work. And some crowds better than others. Tulsa was great. I thought Lincoln, Nebraska was really good. Bismarck was yeah. great. It's hard. Like, when I, when I have in my heart, when I walk out of the arena, I've spent a career being excited because I'm walking into a full arena. When I know yeah. in my mind... That when I step out in that arena, if we're completely sold out, the most that'll be there is half. That's a hard, it's a harder job right now. It's going to be yeah. easy once we get, if we ever get back to normal, but it's, yeah. uh, it's tough. Yeah. Well, you know, there, you're right. I mean, the crowds were great and getting better week every week. I think people are starting to feel like, uh, it's okay to come out from mm-hmm. under the shell that you're not going to die from, you know, you're not going to. Uh, not not going to even get it if you're responsible and right. and take care of yourselves. And then that's again, it's all we're doing is providing people responsible people a way to enjoy a sport safe and responsibly. Yeah. Period. End of story. When you, you know, that's what our job is. In you and I, when we deal, maybe you can help me with this. Um, in order to keep doing my podcast, my my Facebook lives. I have started reading more comments like on social media to get a feel for what people are wondering, what they, what they're thinking. Where is the line you draw of looking at what fans are wondering and thinking and not letting it bother you? Like at, (laughs) how can you just ignore and just not go, do you people ever watch the news? 
you got to get a little thicker skin, don't you? And mine's not very thick at all. Well, you know, I kind of, the epiphany for me was quite a while ago. I mean, early, fairly early in social media. And I realized, so my grandfather, my dad's side, grumpy old bastard. I mean, <laughs> grumpy. And I would go sit with him and he would bitch about this and that, and they're doing this wrong. And it's, I mean, it's across the board. It's not just politics. It's, mm-hmm. it's everything. You know, I mean, and he would have a negative opinion on virtually everything. And when I realized that in the social media age, that he would have had access to a <laughs> computer or a phone uh, and could have just randomly posted a comment about how bad I suck or you suck or mm-hmm. whatever it is. I started realizing that social media just gave every single person informed and uninformed a platform to say whatever the hell they feel like saying. That, so that helps. So, that helps. So ignore it. So yeah. just ignore it. It's well, like nine, you know, there's once in a while that somebody says something and on this particular issue of we waited too long on yeah. Vegas and we were just milking our fans. It took personal exception to that because we didn't, you know, I mean, we yeah. did everything in our power to make it as easy on our fans as we could. And for him to say something like that, I finally just said, eh, you don't know what the hell you're talking it, about. You're just, you know, I saw uninformed. the comment. I saw the comments. One individual went to every platform of social media to tell you that. So I know what you're talking about. Uh, exactly. what, what amazes me, and I know yeah. you have other things. I'll let you go here in a second. Uh, what amazes me is through all this in your attempt to just give people a show and competition is that the PBR also has time to rig it. So certain guys win. I mean, that's amazing. Oh, that you, yeah, <laughs> that's that, the other, that is. Uh, that's like, the other thing. You know, there's like a hundred posts about Jose Vitor LeMay, uh, his accomplishments and his everything that he's accomplished. And basically the guy's predestined to win the, you know, 2020 world title. He's one of the best bull riders we've ever seen, period. One post comes out that says, hey, Jose might need to look in the mirror because Cooper Davis just won in Nebraska. And it's like, see, they're giving it. There they go. That's right. (laughs) Made him stay home one Uh, week. It's a conspiracy. Sent him home. Conspiracy. We're hoping that Jose falls off every one of his bulls from here on. What I thought was funny was not to read. Well, no, Jose actually commented on it publicly. So I can talk about it without violating any uh, medical it, it, it's funny when when the number one bull rider in the world was forced to stay home because of his exposure to someone with COVID. Everybody noticed it was a conspiracy. They hadn't noticed. They didn't notice the other six guys that stayed home or the two the week before. Yeah. It's funny how the yeah perception. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, that that may have you know if you go if you roll back in the podcast a little bit and I'm talking about uh, giving up millions to potentially just hang out with your friends at a little party and gathering. That may have been directed at somebody in particular. I'm pretty sure since that conversation, he hasn't left his house. So. Uh, um, all right. Why, why risk it? Yeah. Why risk millions when we got to get through, struggle through the next few months? Yeah. Um, one last thing. Now, our theme for this year from the, the moment we kicked off from the end of last season, 19, was the hashtag be cowboy. 
be cowboy. It's not about the boots. It's not about the spurs. It's not about your color. It's not about your job. All of that. Isn't it funny that this country going through protests, equality, everything, that really the rural lifestyle, the cowboy way, we were, you, we, we were ahead of the game on that. It's all about, we have an open, we've had an opening video, video all year about, look at us. You don't have to wear a hat. Inclusion. You know, inclusion. Yeah. The B cowboy was ahead of the game on all of this that's going on this year. Yeah, there, you know, <laughs> it's another thing that you just have to ignore the noise around you and know that you're doing the right thing. And uh, we we want to be as inclusive as an, or, an organization as any in the world. Um, and frankly, bull riding is the great, great equalizer. Mm. I mean, it does not matter what color your skin is. It uh, doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are. You're either going to ride the damn bull or you're not, yeah. you know, and... And, and we're a very diverse organization as it is. I mean, we've got uh, 15 Brazilian riders from another country um, that uh, that are learning to assimilate with the with language and other issues. But, you know, really still a very diverse culture of their own inside of our organization. That's a third of our riders. Mm-hmm. Um and you know you've met the australian guys i mean they're from another planet (laughs) but uh sorry aussies um but uh you know we're a very diverse organization as it is and 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 always have been and cowboys are too they're the first great melting pot in american society it was freed slaves from the east finding their way west to work alongside a white men, Native Americans and um, and Hispanic Mexican vaqueros that taught them the trade of how to be a cowboy. So the meaning is diverse. It has its roots in diversity. And um, anybody that points the finger at us and says that we're doing something wrong on that front is just plain ignorant. I don't care. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what's that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong with with most people today is they don't spend enough time to educate themselves on the facts. You know, it's completely reactionary, emotional. Oh my God, you want to be a cowboy. They're all white guys. John Wayne. No, he was a bad guy. You know, it's like, go find some sand to bury your head in because (laughs) you are just plain ignorant. Agree. Um, Before I let you go, uh, we, are we going to start in January? The next we season. Are. Okay. I can tell you that uh, we're going to Duluth, Georgia. The last event that uh, we had on the schedule and the last venue that we stopped in before all of this crazy madness, we thought, eh, let's go ahead and start there. Just pick up where we left off. Uh, also, give you another tidbit for your show is that Lincoln, the Lincoln crowd was so great that we are going back at the end of the year. I would um, like that. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, I've always felt very highly about that part of the country and that Lincoln had a lot of potential for us. And and the crowd that showed up, they earned uh, they earned everybody else the chance to go and attend an event where we don't have restrictions. I agree. So I agree. Those with are the that. only two. Those are the only two big secrets that I'll give you. OK, that's that, that's juicy. That's juicy stuff. I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, listen, Sean, um, I know you're swamped. I, I always appreciate whenever I need anything, you always jump on it. Um, uh, this is, you know, I, I I like to think I have the finger on the pulse of our crowd and a lot of crowds. And I think we answered a lot of questions today and, uh, 
this is this has been fun. And uh, from you know personally, uh, from me and my family, you know, thanks for letting us keep working. It's uh, I have I know a lot of people that it hasn't been that good, and it's been a pretty good year considering. Yeah, well, like I said, our, I think my proudest accomplishment is going to be after the the World Finals um, when we have completed virtually everything that we set out to do, plus launched an entirely new team format series, uh, plus capped the year off with a yeah. and a special event in the USS Lexington. That's kind of my way of giving the finger to 2020. <laughs> we all need to do that. And I, yeah, I will. Like, uh, I'll, and then, then we'll, and then we'll see if you're there or not. You know, I mean, that's maybe behind the scenes. We got to talk about that. <laughs> yes, we do. We'll talk. We'll talk about that after. <laughs> and once again, I want to stress, thanks for dressing up today. Uh, Great. You got it. Yeah. Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell would be proud that our CEO is wearing a a Bass Pro t-shirt and a Motley Crew hoodie. That's awesome. So, Sean, Sean, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Sean, Sean Gleason, CEO of the PBR. See you next time, according to Flint.